Hi, everyone. I'm Patrick Duffy. I'm the president of the Blockchain and Transport Alliance. Uh, we're a global community of stakeholders from across different supply chain uh, and transport modes that are working to create open source standards that we believe will power uh, blockchain-enabled supply chain and transportation processes. I'm super excited to be talking with Gordon today. Um, Gordon's the, the CEO of NYCHEX, and, and we're really thrilled to have his expertise uh, on in a certainly, uh, in my lifetime, unprecedented shipping environment. And um, Gordon, super happy to welcome you to the Ocean Waves event. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Appreciate the invite, Patrick. Yeah. Can you um, give the audience a little background into how you got into the ocean shipping world and what led you to, to start NYSHEX? Yeah, a little bit of a long story, but I'll try and keep it short. You know, one of the sports that I used to love doing as a kid was surfing. In fact, still do that. And for me, it was I see, always I see the Quicksilver uh, flag back there. Yeah, the, <laughs> the passion never dies. Um, so, but yeah, being out in the ocean, looking out over the horizon, seeing these massive container ships coming into the port of Durban, where I grew up, uh, was really fascinating. So that really got my interests peaked in the shipping industry. And then when I went to university, I specialized in economics and then focused on maritime economics. And then I studied law and then focused on maritime law. And when I graduated, Maersk had this really great trainee program called the MISA program. And um, I joined that straight after graduating. And Never looked back. I think it's a fascinating industry to be a part of. Unfortunately, not many people know much about it, but I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it's um, it's easy to forget. It's kind of like electricity or water, um, the way that the, the ocean supply chains really provide for everything from our tennis shoes to electronics and everything in between. I think uh, the statistics, something like 90% of all finished goods are at some time in a box on a ship crossing the ocean. I think that's only becoming exacerbated with globalization and the way that uh, value chains are, are, are being increasingly complex. Um, so has it always been container shipping or did you also work in other areas of supply chain? No, it's always been container shipping. But then some of the time I'd spent in, at the time it was Damco's supply chain management division and um, other elements of it. I've worked on some of the uh, intermodal or drayage pieces of the the business, but in a game, always tying back to the container shipping element of it. I haven't, unfortunately, yet had much exposure to the bulk um, or the tanker side of the market, but the focus really container. And I think it's interesting what you said, Patrick, earlier, you know, like electricity and water, you don't really pay too much attention to it until it stops working. And then suddenly it's a serious issue. And I think that's true with shipping. I think now that it's there's some challenges. Um, it's becoming the topic du jour. So anyway, it's an interesting, interesting point you made there. And can you talk about uh, a certain experience or a, a set of pain points that led you to uh, start NYSHEX? Yes, I definitely can. And it's very personal because it, it, to quit a, a great day job and work on a startup, you really need to have the conviction that it's the right thing. And so I'll tell you my two personal stories. There are many, but these are the two that I think will hopefully paint the picture. So the first is when I was a, a trade manager at Maersk, back then we used to call it line management, and we were I was responsible for the PL for some of the Africa services. And we were trying very hard to improve the network utilization, reduce um, booking roles. And um, one of the efforts we made was we went to some of our customers and said, Hey, look, if you just cancel your bookings three days before the booking cut, 
um, that'd be great. But if you cancel it any later than that, then we'll like to impose a, some sort of penalty to incentivize you to make the right decision and, and help us reposition those empties or fill up those empty slots uh, that you would have left otherwise. And unfortunately, even with very sort of subtle attempts like that, um, we weren't able to get the, the industry to move. We weren't able to change behaviors, but it just created enormous inefficiencies for us as a carrier. And that was, again, when I was a trade manager at Merce many years ago. And I'd always assumed that this is probably something that the shippers benefit from. And it's one of these sort of unfortunate realities. If you're a carrier, you have to deal with this. But then really what made me see that there's also a great deal of inefficiencies from the shipper side is when I spent some years at SAB Miller, the beer company, and started to see how for a company that's importing and exporting container loads of, of goods, the, the fact that sometimes you get space on the ship and sometimes you don't, um, sometimes the price that you agree in the contract is different to the price that you end up paying if you actually want to get on the ship. That has a terrible impact on the supply chain, on your OTAF, your OTAF or your on-time inform. Um, your ability to predict your landed cost is, is suddenly very challenging. So once I saw that this is both a very negative thing for the shipper and also the carrier, you know, that's that's really what gave me the conviction to say, okay, it's time to it's time to have a shot and see if we can fix this. And if we can do that, it'd really be a great thing. Everyone should benefit. And so anyway, that's those are the two stories that for me are, are most relevant in the, the journey so far. And so you've sat on both sides of the contracting table on the shipper side where you're looking to procure the services. And then working with the the carrier, actually providing allocated space for those shipper customers. What's what's the side of the table that you think people prefer to be on? <laughs> I think it depends on the market. I think in excess demand, it's great to be in the carrier seat and excess supply. It's great to be in the shipper seat. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. It's This is a market that, like I think virtually most other markets have in common with, is when supply and demand are balanced you know, the market's nice and stable but in shipping we have this um effect where demand can be quite variable and supply generally is quite fixed given that there's a finite number of ships and it takes a long time to build a new one and of course once you have a ship they can last for 20 or 30 years so that dynamic creates a lot of sort of volatility in the market and so regardless of whether you're a carrier or a shipper or regardless of which side of the table you're sitting on there's always risk that once you sign that contract or you finish that negotiation that the market's going to turn against you. And I think the one thing I've realized is for the vast majority of people out there, whether you're a carrier or a shipper, it's actually more beneficial to have certainty um, and to know what is going to be the revenue that you generate if you're a carrier or the shipper. You're going to realize what the cost is and your supply chain is going to be stable. That certainty is more valuable than the off chance that the market turns in your favor and then you might get some additional cost savings after you've signed that contract. So that's, I think, an important point. And until this most recent disruption in the supply chain, I think a lot of shippers are always just taken for granted. It's better to be a shipper. You can always squeeze some additional cost out of your contract um, because the market's likely to turn in your favor. But I think we can see now that that's not always going to be the case going forward. And when I first uh, got into the ocean logistics side of things with American Shipper, we would talk about contracting season. Is contracting season going away for a constant contracting process now? It's a great question. I think it's a little too early to say. Um, there's a, 
few interesting threads here. You know, the first one is that the reason why contracting season typically exists is because these organizations that are buying ocean freight are typically spending millions and millions of dollars on the ocean freight transportation, and therefore they have this procurement process that they go through, and the procurement cycles are typically year-long um, and somehow tie into the financial planning cycles and so on. And so that's, I think, the underlying reason why we've had these sort of contracting seasons or cycles, especially for the sort of finished goods, headhaul type trades. But what we're seeing now is a lot of shippers are realizing that it can be quite risky going through the contracting cycle. And we saw in the past, in fact, most recently, in this past contracting cycle, that the shippers who were a little late in the contracting cycle actually didn't get all the space that they wanted to contract because the ships were fully subscribed. So now that's driving a lot of shippers to contract much earlier than they would have before. And in addition, some of these contracts we're seeing are two or three years long. And I think that's that's going to be a trend for the next year, perhaps even longer. And I think that there are many advantages to contracting longer term. There's less cost and effort that goes into that, more predictability in your supply chain, et cetera. Um, but the point being is, it's still a little bit too early to say. I think that contracting season may still be around. It just might be a little early sometimes, and the contracts might start to extend in duration. And at NYSHEX, it was originally lane-based in one-season uh, contracts. Is that correct? Well, actually, Patrick, it was always, well, initially, I should say, lane-based, but one-week contracts. So it was much more focused on the uh, spot market, as you might call it that. And uh, what we realized very quickly is that the shippers that were using NYSEX, and I think the carriers too, felt that there's enormous value in having a committed contract where both parties are in full agreement on what needs to be delivered, what exact obligations each party has, and there's financial security to back the contract. That piece of the puzzle has always been very valuable. But this weekly contracting cycle turned out to be quite an inconvenience because some weeks the prices are higher, some weeks they're lower, some weeks there's lots of space, other weeks there's less space, et cetera. And so that actually is what prompted us to start contracting with multi-week, multi-month, and now even um, multi-year contracts. And I think the benefit of that is a shipper and a carrier, they can agree on the terms that they feel is fair for the duration of that contract. Once it's done, they can lock it into Renaishix and then get on do with doing other parts of the business. They don't have to go through this continual process of renewing contracts or renegotiating terms, et cetera, et cetera. So it has been an evolution uh, to, to, sh to share the backstory there. And would, do you think it, it's been also an evolution in the way that both shippers and carriers are viewing the, the NYSHEC value proposition? I mean, has it, has it evolved from um, a way to guarantee the enforceability of, of a contract to something more akin to a risk management or hedging strategy now that you're looking at it, these longer durations? Yes. So, you know, in the early days of NYSHEX, I think when we first started operations 2017 is when we officially launched. Of course, we've been piloting and testing prior to that. But the market, I think, was largely in an excess supply environment. And I think at that time, the carriers saw a great deal of value in locking in contracts because there was predictable revenue. You didn't have to worry about booking downfalls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and at the time, I don't think shippers really saw the value in using NYSEX as a mechanism to manage risk. Some certainly did. There's a lot of very proactive, innovative shippers out there that saw this pattern long before many others did. But I'd say the vast majority didn't. 
However, with all of the supply chain disruptions we've seen over the past 18 months or so, now I think shippers are starting to think more about how they can manage their supply chain risk. Just like we talked about earlier on, like people don't really think too hard about where the electricity or where the water comes from when you turn on the tap or to switch on the, the light switch. But once it doesn't work, then people care very deeply and people start to think, well, how can they manage these type of risks? And again, that's exactly what's starting to happen now in the, in the container shipping space. So the pattern that we're seeing is logistics managers and supply chain managers are being asked by their CFOs and their CEOs, what can we do to secure our supply chain so we don't run into some of the challenges that we ran into in the past? How can we manage the risk, so to speak? And therefore, I think the the mechanism that NYSEX provides to shippers and carriers becomes a very, very powerful tool to manage risk. Um, and I hope, hope that makes sense, Patrick. Happy to dig deeper in there if you want me to. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's funny, right as, as y'all announced the creation of NYSEX, uh, I was writing a an article um, that was titled uh, The Siren Song. And it was basically this caveat emptor for um, an outfit that that was spun up out of Hong Kong called 300 Cubits. And 300 Cubits, if you're familiar with it, was looking to leverage um, the ICO funding craze in the cryptocurrency space to attempt to leverage smart contracts to create similarly uh, enforceable freight contracts that would address the rolling cargo problem. Is, is there a future for more programmatic supply chains do you have you seen a progression in the technology from 2017 to now in the way that those shippers are leveraging these types of platforms and the way carriers are responding oh absolutely but i think it's important always to keep in mind that we're starting from a very um how do i say this a rather unsophisticated base talking about the technology that would potentially enable a truly smart or potentially blockchain-driven contract in the future. What I mean by that is there isn't a completely clean data set that definitively determines whether a contract has been fulfilled or not. There's a lot of different pieces of data that need to come together to create that picture. And a lot of times those data pieces aren't available systematically. Now, of course, as technology becomes more ubiquitous and data starts to become more free-flowing, now, that will change. And we've already seen a change over the past six years of our operation. But, you know, just to paint the picture a little bit more with the story here, you know, for us, we're the whole business model is really focused on making sure the contract is very clear and then gathering data from various different data sources to keep track of every booking, every container, every shipment milestone to ensure that what was agreed in that contract is actually being fill, fulfilled in um, in the physical flow of the goods. And, of course, there's some key pieces of that picture that are available digitally. For example, we can tell when is a booking requested or how much of that booking was confirmed by the carrier, when was the container gated in and shipped on board. And those are really important. But what we've also realized is it's it's really important to understand, in addition, if a container was not gated in on time, why wasn't that container gated in on time? Was it because the terminal was congested and the shipper couldn't get that got that uh, container through the gates in time, and they were potentially waiting outside the front gate for, for over three hours. Now, that's just one little example. There are many, many more. And these are things that need to almost be um, identified by people at this stage of the game. Eventually, we'll be able to get that technologically. And you also need to allow a framework that 
evolves with the needs of the industry. So, for instance, when we started NYSHEX, we it goes back a little bit, but we, of course, have never had a pandemic before. We'd never had things like cyber attacks before, or at least not to the scale that we saw with Maersk a few years back. And so we've had to evolve a little bit how the product works, how the technology works, where we get the data from. Um, and so it's a fairly, it's, it's very, the vast majority of the work is systematic, but for it to work properly, there does need to be um, like an, an oversight. And of course, that's a big part of what we provide and, and the governance structure that we've developed around it uh, to ensure that the, the technology doesn't disregard very important pieces of the of the equation that may not be available digitally just yet. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a nice segue into the, the challenge and kind of for, for one second, we were talking about, um, you know, the programmatic freight buying or programmatic supply chains. The challenge, and people often say it is the, the issue with smart contracts is they're not smart and they're not contracts. Um, yet we'll see how uh, uh, legislation changes that in the, in the hopefully near future. But one of the, the major value propositions of NYSHEX is around that exception management. Can you talk a little bit about how your team steps up when the enforceability of a contract situation comes into question? Sure. And and there's quite a quite a lot to that, but let's just break it down into two components. And again, we can go as deep as we need to. But the first component for a contract to be enforceable or to really be committed, it has to be clear. And one of the major challenges with traditional ocean freight contracts is they're ambiguous. Just to give you one very simple example, a traditional ocean contract might say that the shipper agrees to ship, say, a thousand containers from 10 origins to 10 destinations over a course of 52 weeks. And that, of course, is incredibly ambiguous because it's not clear which lane those containers are going to be loaded on and during which week. I mean, just 10 origins to 10 destinations means that's 100 different permutations. Um, and then, of course, multiply that by 52. It's a lot of different variations that might come about. And traditionally, a carrier might interpret that contract and say, well, then it's spread it out evenly over the course of those 52 weeks and over a course of those you know, 100 permutations in the lanes. And the shipper might have an expectation that he or she could load those boxes whenever they need to during the course of the year. And there's enormous disconnect. And it's, it's in a way sad that we haven't ever really seen a big effort to try and iron out those differences. Nonetheless, this is what NYSHEX really focuses on, is making sure that the terms of that contract are crystal clear. So both the carrier and the shipper know exactly what they're agreeing to, and then they can focus on fulfilling that contract. That's step one, super, super important. The second piece of the puzzle is of course not everything goes according to plan. I think any one of us who's been in the industry a while knows that. But when things go off plan, it's important to get them on track quickly so that you can move forward and get get on with business. Um, and what we see oftentimes in the industry when things go off track on a traditional contract is an enormous amount of time that gets spent between the carrier and the shipper, or even within the carrier organization or within the shipper organization, trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, a lot of times either the ship or the carrier will feel like they've been treated unfairly and there may be some sort of layers of escalation where you have to go up the ranks of management to try and get these things resolved. And it's most often it just strains the relationships and sucks in a ton of time and energy. And so what NYSHEX does in that 
respect is is really make it transparent what exactly happened with each contract. So if the container was supposed to gate in at five o'clock on a Friday evening, did it gate in on five o'clock Friday evening? Yes or no? If the answer is no, um, then we presume that it was the shipper's responsibility to gate it in, and therefore they should um, they should take responsibility for not doing so. They do have an ability to say, okay, hold on, I couldn't gate in because the congestion was excessive, and there's a box they can check and they can provide information to demonstrate that. But what we've done is we've made everything transparent and we've made a framework around how to resolve these type of discrepancies so that it can be done really efficiently and thereby we avoid a lot of that need to sort of climb up the ladder uh, or escalate things and to waste time trying to search for who's got what information, everyone's got the same set of information. And as a result, we've seen these type of contracts get resolved much quicker. People are feel that it's a fair outcome because NYSEX, of course, is neutral and we're not trying to favor either a ship or a carrier, but people trust the fact that these outcomes are fair. And the most important thing is people can just get back on with their business and not have to worry about, you know, feeling like they got to get one up next time around or something like that, which unfortunately happens too often under traditional contracts. So nonetheless, those are the two most important elements. There's more to it than that, but I think that should illustrate the point. I think what is kind of the undertones of a lot of these conversations is around the relationship that exists between the shippers and the carriers. Do you feel that neutral platforms that can serve in an enablement and almost an ambassadorship position between the two parties, do you think that is moving towards replacing those individual-to-individual relationships, or is it a supplement? I would say it's most definitely a supplement and not a replacement. I think that the there is a there is always a fear among I would say carriers and potentially shippers as well that disintermediation may remove some of the value that um, a carrier might provide to a shipper, and to some extent there's there's truth in that. And it's for me it's really important that when NYSEX is involved in a contract that we're not. Um, an intermediary per se. We're not, in fact, party to the contract. The contract is always directly between the carrier and the shipper. NYSEX just provides a technology and a framework to make those relationships between a carrier and a shipper much more effective and much more efficient. Um, So I think it's really important to highlight that those relationships are going to be important. And I think they have been for a very long time and will continue to be for a very long time. But there is definitely room to improve that. So I think when you ask the question, is NYSEX supporting those relationships? Absolutely. And in no way, I think, are those relationships going to become anywhere less important in the in the years and decades to come? You definitely sit in an, an interesting position in the marketplace. I feel like you probably have a very good handle on anxiety levels for both shippers and carriers that have to serve them. Do you anecdotally are, are, are things getting better? Um, Peter Sand, you know, chief chief shipping analyst at BIMCO has recently suggested that it's going to be Lunar New Year 2023 before there's kind of a return to normal. Is is that does that jive with the data that you're seeing on the platform? It, it's hard to say. I mean, we don't have, unfortunately, any data on the on NYSEX that would tell us what, what the future really holds. We can see that carriers and shippers are locking in contracts for, for three years now. And, and I think that gives us an indication that we don't expect that these disruptions in the market are going to be very short-lived. Now, if you break that down a little bit and try to understand, you know, what is causing all these disruptions, you know, we know that there is a 
um, to some extent, con supply constraints. We know that there's new capacity coming into the market and some of that capacity is going to start flowing in. Well, at least the, it's already flowing in, but the, the big surge in additional capacity is likely to flow in 2023. But what's interesting is it's not only just the capacity that is causing some of these problems. You know, if we look at the congestion in on the West Coast ports, a lot of that congestion is, is not because there are not enough ships. It's because that there's there's difficulty getting those containers processed and released through the ports. And part of that is because there's some challenges with labor in the ports. And part of it's because there's challenges with labor in the warehouses and, you know, they, the importers that are bringing those containers in can't unload and return those containers fast enough. And I think it's a lot of that is due to the fact some of these laborers are now doing different things. And the, the employment situation is, is changed quite dramatically given all the stimulus. And so there's, there's so much complexity in this. And so that makes it really difficult to anticipate how long this will uh, go on for. But I do think that just points back to this need to, for shippers and for carriers to really try and hedge against these type of risks as opposed to just letting them well, float in the market and deal with what comes because that can be very disruptive both ways. So I wish, I wish, as we said, we there was a way that we could predict what was going to happen in the future, but it, I don't think it's um, at this stage that easy to do it. Yeah, it, it's it's really telling. I saw this um, wild video that went on for a couple of couple of minutes long um, that was about trucks um, waiting to pick up chassis in LA Long Beach, and this truck driver literally drove for like three minutes inside of the port just by truck after truck after truck waiting for chassis that just wasn't available. It's, it's this massive um, collaboration and coordination challenge. Do you have hopes for better collaboration between these stakeholders in the future? And if so, do you have um, any predictions about what are, what are those platforms going to look like? What, what helps address those collaboration challenges between um, you know, asset owners, shippers, and the transportation providers. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question right there. And look, there's two things which I think are really going for our industry, and means that we will be able to solve some of these problems. The first is that technology is becoming way more capable than what it has been in years past. You know, we're thinking of things like big data and you know artificial intelligence and, and other things like that, which can definitely help. And then the other thing is this, I think, need to fix this. And, you know, we're seeing folks in Washington, D.C. get involved in starting to ask the question, how can we use more data um, to improve the flow of, of cargo and, and all, the, all the pieces of that puzzle that need to click into place in order for the cargo to move? So I think there's, there's definitely going to be a, a surge in new technologies that allow the supply chains to run more efficiently. And so that's positive. How exactly they will look, it's, it's again, super difficult to tell. You know, our hope as NYSHEX is that as carriers and shippers start to make more committed contracts where they're committing for their cargo flows a couple of months, a couple of years in advance, that sort of forward indicating data or future indicating data will help the chassis providers anticipate more how many chassis need to be provided and where do those chassis need to be. Um, what seasons need with are they needed in those specific locations? So that forward predictability 
could be very valuable in helping all the different players in this supply chain, all the different pieces of that puzzle, um, anticipate what is required and then make the investments or make the positioning as needed. So, yeah, there's a lot to be done there. I'm excited to see how this unfolds. And certainly, I hope it can't get much worse than it already is. It only can go up from here. Yeah, fingers crossed on that front. We'll have a really interesting uh, Q4 leading up into uh, Christmas. So thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. Um, and I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the Ocean Waves event.